Proverbs chapter 18, Proverbs chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. Hear now the word of the living God. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. A fool's lips enter into contention, and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction, and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. (coughs) Let's pray together. Now, Lord, we pray that in this brief time you might encourage us, convict us, exhort us, and guide us through the pages, the wise pages of your word. We ask now for aid by your spirit. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Undoubtedly, you've heard the phrase. It is a very familiar phrase in just about any culture, but particularly our own. It is the phrase, don't be Foolish. Don't be foolish. Perhaps we've said that to children. Perhaps we've said that to friends. Perhaps we've said that to those that we barely know. Don't be foolish. In the book of Proverbs, which is a book all about wisdom, there is some discussion of acting foolishly or, quite literally, being a fool. The book of Proverbs opens, boys and girls, in the chapter, at the very beginning, chapter 1, with these words. Turn there, if you like, Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord. Not that we are always afraid of God, like we can't come to God, but the kind of fear whereby we honor him and revere him. We consider him mighty and great and that his words and his ways are the greatest and chiefest of ways. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools, those who do not fear the Lord, fools despise wisdom and instruction. The book of Proverbs continues from that great summary theme throughout 31 chapters describing wisdom. Wisdom in some of those chapters is personified. Boys and girls, it's almost like you take wisdom and you describe it as if it were a person. It's not a person. Well, it is. We'll see in a moment. It's not a person, but you describe it that way. In other parts of Proverbs... You see very short statements of what is wise compared to what is foolish. One important note to make at the beginning of our discussion tonight, and that is that not all of the book of Proverbs, in fact, very little of it, should be interpreted literalistically as promises. Meaning 
We should train up a child in the way that he or she should go, and when he or she is old, he will not depart from it. That is a general principle of wisdom. But that is not promise literature. You may train your children in the wisdom of God all of their days, and yet they may not ultimately come to Christ. They may live a foolish life. That may be in part due to your lack of instruction, or that may not be. So Proverbs is meant to be interpreted as various statements of general wisdom and the avoidance of foolishness or folly. Now, two notes as we begin our text tonight. The first is this. I said wisdom wasn't a person, but then I said it is. Here's what I mean. Of course, the word itself, wisdom, is not a person. It is personified in the book of Proverbs. But Christ actually is the personification of wisdom. Christ actually is wisdom. In fact, we could say that the wisdom described in the book of Proverbs is only fully lived out by the man, Jesus Christ. So Christ is the very picture of all that is discussed in the book of Proverbs as being wise. But secondly, and this is important because tonight there are going to be quite a few commands. Quite literally, there are going to be six. We're going to see in these eight few verses tonight that there are six ways that we shouldn't be foolish. In fact, that's the title of tonight's sermon. Don't be foolish. Six ways that we shouldn't be foolish. So before we do that, as New Covenant believers, let me remind you of where your wisdom actually is ultimately. Turn over with me to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul makes a rather staggering and stunning statement. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30, speaking of Jesus Christ, quote, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Did you see ultimately who our wisdom actually is? It's Jesus Christ. Now, why do I labor there before we walk through the text? Because it's important for us to understand that it is not our wisdom or our growing in wisdom that is the ground of our salvation. Nor is our seeking to be wise what saves us. Nor should we understand when we read a book like Proverbs that if we can just muster up a little more fear of the Lord and a little more wisdom, then we will be accepted with God. But rather, because God in Christ has saved us and because he is wisdom and he is the personification of all that the book of Proverbs says is good and right and wise, we rest on him and follow after him. In these things. Christ is our wisdom. And we are commanded. And we need not run from the commands of scripture. We are commanded to pursue wisdom. But never think that it is our pursuit of wisdom. Or our seeking to obey the living God that saves us. Rather it is Christ. Now as followers of Christ. What encouragements towards wisdom. 
and the throwing off of folly or foolishness do we see in this passage. We see in this passage of little couplets, little statements, encouragements towards wisdom, and specifically in several places, a call to not be a fool or to be foolish. Let me encourage you in something. This is not directly in our text tonight. But, you know, it is commonplace in our day to call people fools. People do it all the time. They mean it without any malice. I would just encourage you, as we'll see tonight, that you need to understand that the word fool is actually a biblical word and it is not a good one. So maybe we ought to tweak our vocabulary, particularly when we're jesting. Because, as we will see, even in our text, a fool is not something that we should joke about. But as followers of Christ, with Christ as our wisdom, understanding that he is the one who is the perfect personification of the book of Proverbs and all that it highlights, how can we avoid being foolish? The word fool is used a few times in our passage. The Hebrew word is used in various places throughout the book of Proverbs. Let me just give you a smattering of passages. The Hebrew word is used in Proverbs 1.22. And when I say the Hebrew word, it's the same word in our text in verse 2 of chapter 18. A fool. That's the word. It's used in Proverbs 1.22 of a person who hates knowledge. It's used in Proverbs 10.23 of a person who enjoys doing mischief. It's used in Proverbs 12.23 of a person who proclaims mischief in his or her heart. It's used in Proverbs 15.2 to the person who speaks mischief, wrongdoing. And one more example, it's used in Proverbs 15.14 to describe a person who feeds on mischief. Let us reserve the word fool for the Bible's use of the word fool. Boys and girls, the fear of... Of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But a fool lacks the fear of the Lord, loves mischief, hates truth. And our text tonight gives us some further description of what it looks like to be foolish. So let's look at these six things tonight. Foolishness, folly to avoid. Number one. Avoid the foolishness of isolation. Look at verse 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Many of the Proverbs are written in this way. You'll get a description, a theme. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. And then you'll get a stronger statement or a summary statement to come after it. He rages against all wise judgment. A man who isolates himself, who separates himself from counsel of others and from the community of others, seeks his own desire. That's kind of soft. Notice the strength of the next statement. He rages against all wise judgment. Here, the wisdom writer would call us to avoid the foolishness of isolation. Consider ways in which you perhaps seek to avoid the community of others, the counsel of others. How many times have you known of brothers and sisters in Christ who make major decisions with their life, 
without even seeking anyone's counsel, without even considering, might there be words of wisdom that my brothers and sisters have? This theme is all throughout the couplets, if you will, of Proverbs. Just listen to a couple. Proverbs eleven fourteen, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Or how about Proverbs 15, verse 22? Proverbs 15, 22. Without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Believers, sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll slip into the folly of isolation. We'll withdraw, perhaps because we know we want to embrace sinful desires outright. Uh, Or sometimes we slip into isolation because we really want to do what we want to do without the counsel of others. I'm not meaning to pick on men versus women, but brothers, sometimes we can be the worst offenders here. Times of trial, moments where we need help, major decisions that we seek to make, and we just do it without any kind of counsel. We just make all of the plans, and then after the fact, we remove ourselves from isolation and come back into community when it is too late to ask, are there wise words among the brothers and sisters For this kind of trial, this kind of need, perhaps, men, it's because sometimes we feel as though we need to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Perhaps it's our pride, not that the ladies in the room can't fall into this as well. But ought we to consider that the wisdom writer encourages us to avoid the foolishness of isolating ourselves from community and from counsel? A clear example in our day, of course, is the situation where an individual or a family will slowly withdraw from gathering with the saints. Perhaps they're here morning and evening in small group or fellowship meals, and then eventually they withdraw to just one or two of those events. And then they begin to withdraw even more. And a lot of times the elders are seeking to pursue them. Some of you seek to pursue them. But I've seen it enough times to know that by the time you sit down and have a conversation with them, they may be at a point where they've already made a decision without wise counsel. A man or a woman who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Resting on Christ alone, let us avoid the foolishness of isolation. But secondly, let us avoid the foolishness of pride. Look at verse 2. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. No, that is not simply a statement regarding social media. But it could very well be, at least in part. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. Now, we've labeled this avoiding the foolishness of pride. What does pride do to us? Well, pride causes us to want to be recognized, to want to be seen as knowing, to want to be the one to speak wisdom versus to actually listen to it and grow in understanding. It's quite a difficult picture, isn't it? The fool, the one who doesn't fear the Lord, the one who hates knowledge, the one who enjoys doing mischief and proclaims it in his heart and feeds on it. That's how the word is used throughout the book. A fool also has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. How often does this come out in our own engagement in life? 
Perhaps because of pride, we feel the need to always know. I know I've been through seasons of life like that. Perhaps you have as well. Where there is deep down a fear that someone or some group of individuals is going to think less of you because you don't know something. And so instead of seeking to grow in understanding, you end up expressing your own heart. It's foolish pride, brothers and sisters. And it keeps us from growth. Similarly, there are times I can look back on my own life where I said purposely, I'm going to say to this person or this group of individuals, I don't know. Can you teach me? Can you help me? And I'm so thankful for those moments because it's in those moments where, yes, I had to admit I don't know something. But in many of those moments, at least, there was growth. There was understanding. But the fool has no delight in understanding but simply speaking. We ought, brothers and sisters, to avoid the foolishness of isolation and the foolishness of pride. Thirdly, the wisdom writer of this passage would call us, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to avoid the foolishness of wicked living. Look at verse 3. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also, and with dishonor comes reproach. Now what is... So difficult about this passage, perhaps, in our grasping it is that it seems, as we look all around us, that the wicked are prospering. That the wicked are getting away with what they do. That the world no longer has any contempt or reproach at all for wicked living. But God is not mocked. His word is still true. When the wicked comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes reproach. True contempt and reproach comes from and surrounds wicked living and wicked ways. Listen to the way the Puritan Matthew Henry speaks of this very proverbial statement. Quote, that wicked people are shameful people and bring contempt upon themselves. For God has said that those who despise him shall be lightly esteemed. As soon as ever sin entered, shame followed it and sinners make themselves despicable. Nor do they only draw contempt upon themselves, but they bring, as he continues, reproach upon their families, their friends, their ministers, and all that are in any way related to them. Those, therefore, who would secure their honor must retain their virtue. The wisdom writer is saying there's wisdom in not being wicked. In avoiding the shame and the dishonor and the reproach and the contempt that rightly comes from a life full of unrepentant wickedness. We, brothers and sisters, resting on Christ alone ought to avoid this folly as well. This foolishness as well. But a fourth kind of foolishness that we're called to avoid tonight in verse 4 is the foolishness of not having wisdom to speak. Let me say that again. Sounds a little unique, doesn't it? The foolishness of not having wisdom to speak. Look at verse four. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. Now, if you seek the commentators out on this passage, there are 
a couple of ways that this can be interpreted. Look up at verse 2. It's very clear on the surface what is being referenced. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. There's no confusion or lack of clarity there. But in verse 4, it might seem to be a little bit more difficult to follow what is being said in this couplet. The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Are those good words or bad words? And many commentators would say, well, as we've done with the other couplets, let's do with this one. Notice the second part. The wellspring of wisdom is a flowing brook. So the first part of verse 4 could indeed be a statement that says, hey, if your mouth is filthy, if it's full of foolishness, those are deep waters that you are lost in. Absolutely. But here it seems to be indicating that wise words of a man's mouth are deep waters. They are like the wellspring of wisdom that flows. Again, Matthew Henry Speaking of this passage, says this, the words of such a man's mouth are as a flowing brook. What he sees cause to speak flows naturally from him and with a great deal of ease and freedom and natural fluency. It is clean and fresh. It is cleansing and refreshing from his deep waters. There flows what there is occasion for to water those about him as the brooks do the low grounds. Now, you can walk away from Proverbs 18 for In one of two ways, perhaps in both ways. Number one, am I a person who is growing in the fear of the Lord and thus growing in wisdom? And number two, in my boat, as I sail the world of this life, am I sailing in the waters of wise people's words or in the deep, treacherous waters of absolute Foolishness spoken by others. In other words, do I have wisdom to speak as I'm growing in Christ and in his ways? And am I surrounding myself with those who actually speak wisdom? We are to avoid the foolishness of not having wisdom to speak or to hear. But there's a fifth kind of foolishness or folly that we are called to avoid. Look at verse 5. That is the foolishness of people pleasing, the foolishness of people pleasing. Now, it's a rather subtle point, because look at what is written on the page in verse five. It is not good to show partiality to the wicked or to overthrow the righteous in judgment. Here we're told that if we were judging cases If we had decisions to make, we shouldn't show partiality. That is something that we see in the New Testament, for instance, in the book of James. But a larger issue here behind this couplet is the idea that at times in this life, we may be tempted to want to please others. To show partiality to those who don't deserve it and to overthrow those who do deserve it. Actual recognition in judgment, because in our hearts, we're seeking to please people or to get something. Ask yourself this question. When I go about my days in my work, in my home, in my community of faith here at church, how often am I desperate for people to recognize me and to like me? 
And do I struggle with that in such a way that it may draw me in in life, Monday through Saturday, to making bad decisions because I desperately want to please people? And herein we go back to Proverbs 1-7, don't we? When we fear the living God above all things, it leads to knowledge and it leads to freedom from these kinds of sins. Because we fear the Lord, we revere Him, we honor Him in such a way that we think and consider what others think about us less and less. There is a folly that we ought to avoid in growing in wisdom, and that is people-pleasing. Or, as expressed here in this couplet, showing partiality to the wicked. Overthrowing the righteous in judgment. This can more literally happen to us sometimes in this life when we actually avoid calling evil evil for fear of what people will think of us. When we avoid the conversation or conversations that we need to have related to the wickedness of an individual because we're concerned about what people will think. You know, the folly of verse 5 And the folly of verse 2 and 1 all go together, don't they? Really, much of this folly is a type of pride. We ought to increasingly, by His grace, surrender this kind of pride. Proverbs 1 7. You know, Proverbs 1 7 really is an antidote to much of the pride that pervades our hearts. Growing in the fear of the Lord lessens our own attachment to ourselves. But there's a final foolishness that we're called to avoid, and that is the foolishness of unwise lips. And for this, we get several couplets, several proverbial statements. Look at verse six. A fool's lips enter into contention, boys and girls, arguments, fighting A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. You ever thought about that? Foolish speaking, constantly engaging in contention is really an invitation. Hey, fight me. The world loves that, but King Jesus doesn't. A fool's lips enter into contention and his mouth calls for blows. A fool's mouth is his destruction and his lips are the snare of his soul. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. This is the final kind of foolishness that we'll see tonight that we're called to avoid. Unwise lips. And there are actually two parts to this. The first part is the kind of unwise speech that leads to arguing and contention And foolish talk. We see this in verses 6 and 7. I won't read it again other than to say a fool's lips enter into contention. This is the kind of person who is marked at every turn by a readiness to engage in argument, in contention, in disagreement. The text says that his mouth calls for blows. You know, this kind of unwise speech is also referenced elsewhere in the book of Proverbs. Turn over to Proverbs chapter 10. 
Proverbs chapter 10 and verse 14. Wise people store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish is near destruction. Or how about Proverbs 13 and verse 3? Proverbs 13 and verse 3. He who guards his mouth preserves his life, but he who opens wide his lips shall have destruction. Now, I know that to us it sounds like strong, exaggerated language, because in each of those cases, there's a connection between speech that is unwise and foolish and destruction. But isn't that how the book of Romans describes us? As as a human race, those who've fallen and are lost in sin. Romans 1 describes the level to which we've sunk, the kind of sexual immorality and hatred, the calling of evil good and good evil, the exchange of natural kinds of things for unnatural kinds of things. But you know what else is in Romans chapter 1 that describes how despicable we are in our fallen state? Gossip. How we speak. The foolishness of unwise lips involves contention, arguing, seeking to fight for fighting's sake. Turn over to the book of Titus, Titus chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, there we read some, some strong words, Titus chapter 3. And verse 9, but avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. And then notice how Paul instructs Titus to lead the church. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition. Knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. There is great folly in having lips that run toward contention. We are right to stand on the truth of God's word and to stand on it with our lips. This proverb is not calling us to forsake our duty to be salt and light. To preach the word, to evangelize. You will create contentious situations when you speak of Christ and him crucified among the lost. But what is in view here is the person who speaks not for the glory of Christ and his doctrine and his word, but for the sake of being right or arguing. It's foolish. But there's a second type of unwise speech that occurs in this text, and that is that of gossip. Look at verse 8. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. The book of Proverbs is stunningly accurate in how it describes us and nails us, isn't it? I mean, in other parts of the word of God, we're just told don't gossip. But here, in very colorful language, the words of a talebearer or gossip or slanderer are like tasty trifles. And they go down into the inmost body. Here we are given a picture of another kind of foolishness and folly related to unwise lips, and that's gossip. 
course, there are the very clear kinds of gossip that happen all across the globe, even in churches. Did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Did you hear what happened? Did they tell you this? Sometimes, because we know of the wisdom of the book of Proverbs and other passages in Scripture, we couch gossip. We color it so that we try to say at the outset what it's not so that we can do what it is, right? You know of what I speak. We, we may try to, to couch it. But when we tell tales of others in ways that are outside our sphere of interest and necessity, we're gossiping. Sometimes the examples might be more subtle. And perhaps we don't even mean to do it, at least consciously, but we begin to just share. You live in a world, particularly post-enlightenment, where sharing of feelings is of the highest value. And there's goodness in that. But perhaps tail-bearing could be described as, I had a conversation with this group of individuals, and we're in the same church, so I'm free to come over here and share with you that conversation. Bearing a tail. Or maybe it's the kind of tail-bearing that comes with a question mark at the end. You know, where we think out loud with a group of individuals who are listening And the way that we think out loud kind of comes with a little bit of an insinuation of tail-bearing. I wonder why so-and-so didn't do this. I wonder why this deacon didn't do this. I wonder why the elders think this. And it's tail-bearing because you're not going to the deacon or to the elder or to the individual. You're going to someone else, quite frankly, anyone else but the individual. The words of a talebearer are like tasty trifles, and they go down into the inmost body. Now, I said earlier that gossip or talebearing takes us outside of our sphere. Husbands and wives need to talk about things. Leaders of churches need to talk about things in order to lead well. Deacons need to talk about things in order to serve well. People in the church, in a common affair, need to speak about the matters that sometimes might involve other individuals. Sometimes the text of Scripture says that we're to restore individuals, which would require us to actually have conversations with one another. If someone sins against you, go and tell him his fault. If he repents, the matter is finished. If he doesn't, what are you instructed to do? You have to take someone with you, which means in a Christ ordained way, you've been given permission for the glory of Christ and the good of the soul of the individual that you are going to of telling that matter to someone else in that sphere. But the foolishness of unwise lips of tailbearing or gossip is when we go outside that sphere to speak of others. And the scripture says It's like a tasty treat, but it goes down deep. Resting on Christ, we are called to avoid the foolishness of unwise lips. 
Six areas of foolishness that we're called to avoid tonight. Resting on Christ, remembering that He is our wisdom, and remembering that until He returns, or we depart to be with Him, we will have moments of folly. We will have moments of sinful foolishness. But He's given us His Word, resting on Him, that we may grow in seeking to be wise and avoid the foolishness of isolating ourselves. The foolishness of pride of wicked living, of not having wisdom to speak or to hear, of people-pleasing, and of having unwise lips. It was the book of Proverbs many years ago that was used of God to remind me of the truthfulness of Scripture. It was used of God because it was in the book of Proverbs that I saw just how sinful I could be. That Proverbs wasn't just... A list of wise statements. It was the very living word of God reminding me of all of the things in which at times I fail. But think about it in reverse. There was one who never failed to follow proverbial wisdom. He is the Savior. He has died for you, Christian. He has placed his spirit within you, Christian who is growing you in wisdom. By His grace, you will be wiser next year than this year, we pray. By His grace, you will be wiser ten years from now, if the Lord tarries, than you are now. Press into Him who is for you wisdom and follow after His ways. And when you fall, confess, Lord, I've been foolish. For weeks, months, or years I've lived in this kind of folly. Rid me of it and give me a love for wisdom which stems from fearing you. Together, the people of God are called to avoid foolishness and to grow in wisdom. And this is actually a gift. This is actually a treasure. Let's pray. Almighty God, we pray that you might help us in our growth and wisdom as we just jumped into a particular section of Proverbs verse after verse there is folly there for us to see and to behold and to avoid help us Lord by your grace to do this strengthen us for this task as we rest on Christ alone in Jesus name Amen